Video ball. 30 krona. 3 quid. 3. So it's probably like 60, 70% off. That's pretty good, boy. Uh, not 70% off, but 60. It's good fun. We played it. No? Looking mm. forward to it. Should we make a start? Sure. So, who are you? My name's Joe, and I'm from Yorkshire, like Dan. Actually, we went to school together, and uh, now I live in Denmark. Okay. And what are you doing in my house? <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, you uh, invited me over to I did. talk a little bit about politics. Absolutely. Um, so I thought we'd just start off by asking about your voting habits. Mm-hmm. So you could just let us know who you voted for and, and why. Well, um, I turned 18 in 2002, and so the first general election after that I think was in 2005. And I voted Lib Dem um, because um, that was in Harrogate, where you pretty much have a choice between Lib Dem and Tories. And I didn't vote for Tories because I'm not a twat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) A little bit. No, um, do you know what? Honestly, I was young and just voted the way my parents vote back then. Yeah. Um, Do you, I mean, just just a bit of a a question to follow up there. Do you think that a lot of people do vote with their parents? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a huge problem, actually, because um, it just means that you, you get you get stuck in a in a rut, uh, you know, nationally. That that um, it takes a long time for the status quo to change. People just get into the habit of voting a certain way, and it can go. It can even persist through generations. And people often vote, I think, without even really thinking about it too much. Mm. And I, th- I think that's a huge problem. Yeah, we'll we'll get back onto that a bit later on, actually, um, in terms of voting habits in in Britain in particular. Um, so that was two thousand five, mm-hmm. and then the. Did you vote in the following election? Following election, I actually was living in China at that time. Okay. And wasn't, uh, still wasn't very polit- politically active, um, not really bothered enough to find out how to vote from a foreign country, and yeah, n- not, not really, um, I suppose, starting to develop a idea that I think you'll probably want to talk to me about in a few moments, which is that Think, getting the impression that one vote doesn't really matter and you know whether or not I vote in this election is not going to change anything and so why should I go to all the effort of registering and filling in the forms and doing all of that weeks before the election just so that I can you know be a drop in an ocean. Yeah so picking up on that point we, we spoke about this um, last time I saw you uh, or the time before that just about the fact that you have become disengaged in a way in politics and you, you don't see the point in voting. What, what is your, your thought behind that? I, I'm in a very um, strange place really because you, you, say, <laughs> you say that I'm uh, disengaged from politics. Mm-hmm. I'm actually more politically aware and, and active in a way than I've ever been um, in terms of talking about it and understanding it. But I haven't voted for a very long time because I still I still feel that one that that one individual vote doesn't matter. It wouldn't have made a difference if I'd voted in 2010. Um, and with the election last year, I actually did uh, pull my finger out and register mm-hmm. to vote, and uh, and I got the form to to send 
to Glasgow, which is the last place I lived in the UK to um, have my vote. I, I was actually going to vote by proxy. Um, and then when I actually got around to filling in the form and going and scanning it and sending it to them about a week before the election, I found out that there was actually a deadline <laughs> to send it in and I just missed it by one day. Right. So I didn't vote in the last election either, even though I would say that I'm I'm not politically disengaged and I'm, I mean, I'm appearing here on this podcast <laughs> and I, uh, I actually feel like I've got you know, I've got ideas, but I'm still in that, I've got that cognitive dissonance at the moment, which is that I still feel that one vote still doesn't make a difference. Okay. And if I had voted in the last uh, election, it wouldn't have changed the result. Changing. And if I'd voted in Brexit, it also wouldn't have changed the result because one vote doesn't matter. And I, and I know that that's controversial to say, and I know that I can hear your audience gasping already. Uh, and, and, I, and I do think it's really important that people do vote because if, if no one voted, that would also that would be terrible, mm. and the the paradox is that if no one voted, then I would vote because that would give me immense power because I would be the only course, person yeah. voting. Yeah. But because loads of people do vote, it means that I don't have to. Yeah. And I know that that's a strange, uh, controversial opinion, but it's the way that I feel. Okay, fair enough. Um, moving on to uh, another vote that's taken place recently, um, the EU referendum. What are your thoughts on it? Just to just to. Um, preface that with the fact that I don't think we've said where you're currently living now. I think we? I think we did. Did we mention that? That I'm, that I'm living in Denmark. And so uh, I'm greatly benefiting from uh, Britain's membership in the EU because it means that I can move freely throughout Europe. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous help when you're going on holiday. It's even more of a tremendous help when you live um, abroad. I can go to a country like Denmark and I can live there um, and I can get a job with um, with no restrictions. I moved there in 2010 after I um, came back to Europe from China and I basically just went to the town hall and I said, can I have a residency permit, please? And they said, um, you know, show me your passport. And I did. And they said, fine, because I'm a new citizen. And I got a residence. And I, so I did need to apply for a permit, but it was just a formality. Mm. And I don't need to do anything special to get a job there. And I just, um, you know, it's no problems at all. Um, and when the when Britain leaves uh, the EU, I'm lucky because my mum is Irish, so I can just get an Irish passport, no problem. Right. Um, I'm also also I've been living in Denmark for seven years now, and I, I I'm not sure exactly when I I am eligible, but I think I can get Danish nationality very soon. So hopefully, the ideal situation for me would be to get dual nationality, British and Danish. Okay. But if that's not possible, then I'll just switch to Irish, and it's no no big problem for me. Okay. So. Following up on that, what is your what's your biggest fear, particularly with what we've seen so far with the Brexit negotiations? What do you think could happen? Oh, uh, what could happen? Anything could happen. That's the <laughs> that's the that's the scary thing. Um, I mean, I was you know wor- worried before it happened uh, that I mean, I thought about it. Uh, I think you you and me you and me we spoke just before the the referendum actually uh, about it, and I was saying that. If it happens, it's going to lead to obviously a transition period, which is going to have to be at least two years long, because that is just how long it's going to have to take to for Britain to um, put into legislation all of the things that the EU has been doing for them for the past forty years mm. or, or whatever it is, um, and and it, it, it's turned out to be true that there is an end date on the negotiations, and I think it is in is it next year. Uh, it is, I believe, yes. And so that is two years after the referendum. Yeah. 
But unfortunately, Britain has been just sitting on their hands all of that time and hasn't really done anything. Uh, and, and it just reminds me of a child who who is saying that they want something and the parent is saying, but you can't have the thing. Mm-hmm. And the parent and the child is just saying, but I want the thing. Yeah. And that's what it's that's what it sounds like to me. The the the, the Brexit negotiation team mm. is saying we want a deal and the EU is saying no. And they're just at a standoff. And uh, Donald Tusk recently said Britain needs to pull their finger out yeah. because th- there's no set time when the negotiations have to start, but there is a, a time when they have to finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the longer that they uh, this goes on for, the, the, the worse a position Britain's going to be in when it actually does Absolutely. happen. I think the biggest sticking point at the moment is that, that divorce fee settlement, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're coming and saying, well, we're not willing to pay anything like what is being suggested and and the you know EU negotiating team is saying well that's literally the first thing we need to sort out and decide and it is going to be around about that figure so do you, do you think this may lead to britain not leaving the eu or do you think it'll lead to a very watered down brexit deal um you have to understand also that i i live in denmark and what i hear about um i, I don't particularly seek out british uh, news anymore we do get uh, occasionally big stories coming through on the Danish news, and so I, I, I see what a mess everything is. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of the finer details, I rely, like a lot of people do, I think, on, on other people's um, interpretation of the news. And I was speaking to my brother yesterday, who I respect a lot, and he seemed to think that there is still a small chance that, that Britain won't leave um, the EU at all. Um, I mean, I that's something that I thought a while ago, but the longer this goes on, the less and less chance I think that has of happening. If Labour had had won the election, I think maybe that it could have led to another referendum. But you have to—I I kind of feel like you have to respect the first result because otherwise the government can be accused of simply doing referendums again and again until they get the answer that they want. Okay. Um, and. Can I just Sorry, go on. on on that point? Can I uh, bring up something we were discussing the other day mm. about referendums, about bringing in new laws, and oh, you, yeah. you discussed a certain sort of system because a lot of people have you know pointed to the fact that um, you know the the vote was very close anyway, um, and there were there was not you know an overwhelming no. number of people who actually voted in that referendum. I mean, I can't even remember off the top of my head. I what believe it was fifty two percent voted. Oh, you mean- no, no, no. I mean, of the people who voted, I think fifty-two yeah. percent voted to leave. Okay, I, th- I believe. So you you tell me about that that system we <laughs> were discussing the other day. Well, I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of um, Elon Musk, and I know Dan is as well. I hope you won't mind me saying that. No problem. Uh, CEO of of Tesla and also SpaceX, and he's got big plans to go and colonize Mars. And I was watching an interview with him last year where the interviewer joked that he would be the king of Mars. And used that as a as a launching point into uh, a, a a line of questioning about his political beliefs. This was before the uh, U.S. election, and um, he was not he was not um, uh, p- publicly endorsing either candidate. And they were trying to get him to you know give some of his political uh, ideologies and philosophies uh, uh, and thoughts. And he was talking about if he was in charge of a, con- a, a you know a planet, you know, jokingly Mars, then he would um, in, in, try to um, have a system whereby he would let the, um, the, the, the citizens vote on, on single issues, like referendums, for example, 
Brexit and, and stuff like that. And he would um, pass the law. The law would only gain favour, not with just a majority of more than 50%, but he would want a majority of, of 60%. And that it should be... The second point was that he thought it was very important that laws should be easier to abolish than they are to, to create. And so if the approval rating of that law ever fell below 60%, then the law would be abolished. And so um, the idea would be that you would uh, a law would be proposed and then presumably seconded and then put to a vote and everyone would vote. And if it was above 60%, then it would be passed. But at any point, someone could challenge that law uh, and presumably that would be seconded and put to a vote. And you would only need 40% of people to agree that the law should be removed because that because that would indicate an approval rating of less than 60% for that law. So that would make it easier to abolish laws than to pass them and then you would end up with a more um, a, a less regulated and more free uh, sort of um, society and political system. Mm -hmm. but, but I mean that's coming from Elon Musk who is who is very much an entrepreneur and he's very much a capitalist and um, you know, even though I I think he's a very he's very um, palatable as a, a as far as uh, big um, money CEOs go, he he has st does still come from that background where he believes that he should just be allowed to do his job without government interference. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was seventy two point two percent turnout in the EU uh, referendum um, there. But uh, so, and uh, we've also spoken about the fact that in in Denmark there is. Are you encouraged to vote, or I mean, the turnout is higher, isn't it? I actually don't know if the turn what the turnout is like. Okay, you could maybe Google that. Okay, um, I, I, I believe it is. I think we did have a conversation, and, and maybe okay. you knew more than than you do now. Um, but I will say that I will say that 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 um, in Denmark, uh, the level of trust people have a higher trust in each other and in the political system, uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if you if you said that the turnout's higher okay. in Denmark. So moving on to um, considering your adopted country, um, in what ways do you think the Danish political system is better than the UK or, or the rest of the world? Well, the Danish system, if you could, if you could sum it up in, in one word, it would be that it's based on compromise. Um, there hasn't been a majority, uh, sorry, an ab a, a government that's won an absolute majority in a in an election for over a hundred years. Right. Um, I be beginning of of the twentieth century, I believe it was nineteen oh nine, um, when when that last happened, and ever since then it's been you know gaining majorities by uh, gaining support from from other parties. So we have we have nine uh, parties that have. Um, seats in in the parliament, and um, there are 179 seats, and so a majority requires 90, um, and no 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 single single party has gotten 90 seats since 1909, okay. and and so what you need to happen is that uh, generally speaking, going into an election, everyone knows who the two biggest parties are, uh, and one is one is a, a left leaning and one is a right leaning party. Uh, and and you also generally know of, of the other seven parties who who they support, who they would put their weight behind when it when it comes down to it. Okay. Um, and so what that means is that you don't have to um, because you know it's probably going to be a coalition government. Mm -hmm. You don't have to vote for Labour just because you don't like Tory mm -hmm. or vice versa. You can vote someone more moderate, knowing that uh, they will support. The lesser of the two evils, 
but still you're supporting that small party and right. and that that will give them more power to push through their agenda um, in, in the government. So it completely gets rid of tactical voting, basically. I, I wouldn't say it totally gets rid of tactical voting, but it's certainly a better system than than we have uh, in the UK. And the other thing that's that's good about the, the Danish system is that it, it, everyone is... Uh, it, it, um, is it called proportional representation? Yeah. Yeah. That every vote counts yeah. in terms of... Even if... Uh, okay, so what I was saying about Harrogate earlier is that... Um, the, the 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 seat in Harrogate is always going to be won by either Lib Dem or uh, Tory, and Labour only gets a couple of thousand votes, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people think that it's a waste of time voting for Labour because it's a a wasted vote. Yeah. Um. But if the UK used the Danish system, then what would happen is that your vote for Labour would still count in the uh the overall voting the uh, as you know for the popular vote. So it's more it, national. It's really. It is actually it is actually national. Uh, yeah. They've still got um, this sort of seats system yeah. that there are 179 seats in the parliament, but those seats are not in constituencies right. as they are in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually not 100% sure how that works on the yeah. local level. Okay. But when you yeah. cast your vote in Denmark, you, you make a vote for the party that you want mm-hmm. to vote for. And you can, in addition to that, make a vote for a particular person in your constituency. And if that person gets enough votes, then they will sit in one of the seats in in Parliament. Right. And I'm not sure of all the, the details, but mm-hmm. it sort of roughly works. Okay, like that. yeah, no, that's, that's grand. Uh, just looking up the... Uh, was, was the last election 2015? Mm. That sounds right. Yeah, eighty-five point nine percent turnout. So right, that's really awesome. high. Yeah, yeah, very, very high. Um, just then thinking about, do you, do you think there are uh, shortcomings to to this system? Uh, I think so. I, well, I don't think there's any perfect system. No. So every system has has shortcomings. Um, the thing that annoys me about this um, this coalition system and the compromises. Uh, constant compromises is that that no one um, ever gets enough power to to push through their idea because there are always going to be people standing in their way saying, "Oh well, you know, if you want that, then I want I want you to give me this kind of thing." And there's all this um, sort of dealings going on behind the scenes. Um, like I suppose, like you saw with when there was a coalition government in 2010 um, with um, the Tories and the Lib Dems and. Nick Clegg wanted to get through his um, like free education, free higher education thing, and he couldn't. He, he, you know, he 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 compromised a lot of what he believed in in order to get a half measure of what he really wanted, mm-hmm. and it basically cost him his political career. And 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 it's cost the Lib Lib Dem hasn't recovered from that. That they they were uh, uh, an an attractive sort of third option pre-2010 and since then they've just fallen off a cliff and, yeah. and now we've got a situation where we only really have two big parties and so you could argue that that compromise has really damaged the the political system in um in the uk and obviously that hasn't happened in in denmark but um i and again bear in mind that i'm not i'm certainly not an expert in danish politics i've never even voted in a, in a danish election but I feel that um you know it's very difficult for to, to get anything done yeah. if you have to appease all these other parties uh, in the in the in the um, in the government. It's the age-old argument, really, against coalitions, isn't it? That people are always selling out and always yeah. you know, doing deals and all that sort of stuff. And, I, and I'll give you an example. Uh, 
there was, up until recently, um, a tax exemption on zero emissions vehicles uh-huh. in Denmark. Uh-huh. Um, I should explain something about um, cars in Denmark is that they're incredibly expensive. You have to pay a registration fee when you when you buy a car, which I think in most other countries is literally a few pounds, like or a few dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe 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 a hundred dollars. Um, but in Denmark, it's one hundred and eighty percent of the value of the vehicle. So registering the car costs almost double the amount that the car itself cost. So if you go and buy, you know, a thirty thousand pound car, you'll be paying close to a hundred thousand pounds for it when all right. said and done. Yeah. And so this is, um, I think this is not a bad uh, system because it encourages people to get smaller cars, which they, they don't need big cars that, that pollute a lot. But one of the, the, an exemption was made to this. I'm not sure when it came in, but it's zero, zero emissions vehicles. So any fully electric or hydrogen powered cars don't have to pay this, um, this registration fee at all. So it made zero emissions vehicles very um, attractive um, financially. And then just recently, this was... Um, it was voted that this should be phased out, and so over a period of about five years, the, this this tax is coming back bit by bit. And I looked into, I was shocked and quite disappointed because I, I, I mean, I sort of into all that stuff, and I and I really wanted my next car to be um, an electric car. And so I looked into because all the votes uh, are public, um, publicly available on the on the Parliament website, and mm-hmm. I looked into who had voted for this um, right. to remove this exemption, and I was shocked to find out that. One of the most progressive parties had voted in favour of of removing this exemption. Who was that? Uh, yes. It's actually a very very new party that's called alter. They're literally called alternative. The alternative. They're, they are the alternative choice. Um, if you nearly five percent of the vote in twenty fifteen. Exactly, they're a brand new party, so um, they're really really small, and they're one of my favourites. And I was shocked to find out that they'd uh, agreed to remove this uh, exemption. And I I spoke to my wife about this, and she said, "Oh yeah, but they'll have gotten something in return." Right. Sure. And I'm like. Oh, but that you know that doesn't help me right now. I'm angry about this, and you know so that's that's the problem. That's a real example of where yeah. So like sold out. If I had been able to vote in the last election, I would have voted for them, and then I would have felt betrayed by them because they had done this. You know something that I don't yeah. agree with, and then you know in order to further their agenda, and, and this is just an example of how the the compromises. You know people are. It, it sound it also makes it sound shady, like all these backroom deals. Yeah. Like I'll scratch your yeah. back if you scratch mine, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that was going to be my next question, actually. Who who is it that you would? tempted to yeah. vote for because I know that you haven't yet voted in Denmark. No, you? well I can't but until I'm a citizen. You can't anyway, right, okay. Um, but I'm just just going through the list and you know we've got Christian Democrats, Conservative People's Party, Socialist People's Party, Danish Social Liberal Party, the Alternative Liberal Alliance, Red Green Alliance, Ven- how do you say that? Venstra. Venstra, Danish People's Party, Social Democrats. That's a lot of parties all sharing you know a, a large proportion of the vote. Yeah. Um, you know some of those are you know up above Five percent of the vote, which is which is considerable, really. Um, it, it does seem to me that, that there are there are positives and negatives, and I think you know in the UK we had our own referendum on whether to move to more of a proportional system. It was actually alternative vote, and and people weren't for it. And, and that, to some extent, I think that's what it is. You know, party selling out. Yeah. Do you, do you think that people understand what they're voting for no, when they vote against something not. like that? No. I mean, that's my feeling, is that if people understood these things, then they would... It's an obvious people, solution. People usually stick to what they know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's what I was saying yeah. earlier about, you know, you, you don't know who to vote for, so you ask your parents and they tell you who to vote for, and then that sticks yeah. with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. People prefer not to think about it too hard. Absolutely. Um, so, a final question on, on the, the Danish theme. Um, do you think that 
the left in the UK and the US particularly are right to hold up Scandinavian politics as a beacon of, of social democracy. And we've we've discussed this, <laughs> this phrase, haven't we, of social democracy. Do you want to just tell us whether you think, first of all, what is what is social democracy? Why is it not socialism? And do you think the left in the UK and US are right to hold up Scandinavia as a as a beacon of this? Um, so which, which which bit do you want me to start with? I want you to, want you to tell me about social democracy and uh, okay. and what it is and why it's not socialism. Right. So um, I wasn't aware of this until uh, very recently, but I um, came to understand... Oh, maybe I should start again. I, um, I was reading about this, social democracy and versus socialism and... Uh, found out that Bernie Sanders during his um, campaigning for the uh, US presidency last year uh, was using the term uh, democratic socialism to describe Scandinavian um, political system. And it's really um, not not true at all. He's, he's completely misusing the term and he's, he's holding up... Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know so much about Bernie Sanders... Uh, himself and what he believes if he's using if he's misusing the term or if he's holding up Scandinavian politics even though it stands for something that he doesn't believe in he he is a socialist he's a socialist yeah. okay so um that means then that he's holding up Scandinavia even though he doesn't understand the Scandinavian systems um because Scandinavia are, is not uh, a group of socialist countries they have what's called um social democracy which means that they actually embrace um capitalism and free market ideas and they they're very hands off when it comes to the the industry and the financial sectors but they have high taxes and they use that money to create a very robust welfare system which helps uh, everybody it helps society it helps the poorest people um, and I think uh, in ter- that in turn helps society and the, and and helps everybody, um, which sounds very sort of you know hippy dippy lovey dovey uh, let's all get along kind of kind of thing, but um, you know it, it certainly works. Uh, I, I live in I live in Denmark. You know it's very easy for me to live in Denmark because my wife is Danish and my kids are growing, are growing up there. But I really wouldn't rather live anywhere else in the world. If I had to choose somewhere else to live in the world, it would be Norway. And if I had to choose somewhere else to live in the world, it would be Sweden, yeah. because I, I do strongly agree with the just the general culture and the and these philosophies that that they have. They embrace free market capitalism and they also f- embrace welfare. Thank you. Very uh, concise and erudite. Um, just to finish off, really, I'm going to give you free reign. Um, <laughs> what for you are the biggest political, economic, and social problems that face the world today in 2017? And how do we go about solving it? Well, I mean, I I can't think about the the big problems that the world faces without thinking about um, the environment and climate change, because I think that um, no matter what political problems you have, no matter what social problems you have, no matter no matter what economic problems you have, none of them matter if if we don't have a world to have them in, um, and and I, I am very worried about about uh, climate change. I'm very worried about rising carbon uh, levels in the atmosphere, rising um, temperature levels, rising sea levels. 
and I think that we're in for a big shock uh, within our lifetimes, which could lead to all manner of, of new problems, um, reg- you know, much, much greater than anything that we're facing um, today. Um, and so that's, that's my big thing. Um, I'm really worried about the environment. Um, and I don't mean the kind of uh, make sure you, you separate your, your, your trash and uh, recycle your, your bottles kind of environment. I mean, we need to stop um, polluting the air. We need to stop putting carbon into the atmosphere. We should, we should leave it in the ground where it's been for millions of years and we should stop digging it up and burning it. So how do we deal with that? Well, it's really hard because we're totally dependent on it. Um, and I think we've we've been totally dependent on it ever since the industrial revolution and we've gotten used to it we've gotten used to all of our all of our economic models are based on constant growth constant growth every year um, if we have anything less than like two percent growth every single year then we're in big trouble that's almost a recession if we have less than two percent growth and two percent growth doesn't sound like much but that means that you're doubling every seven years uh, sorry every 70 years yeah. um, and you you can't double something every 70 years without it getting absolutely humongous um, you know within within a few hundred years and so um, what it means when our when our economy um, doubles um, oh, let me let me put it this way is that our our consumption of oil doubles every decade we have been we have been sucking oil out of the ground for what a hundred years uh, no more than that uh, yeah it will, it will but, definitely be. but but the point is that every decade so so in 1980 let's say we sucked a certain amount of oil out of the ground and then in 1990 we we doubled that in fact the amount that we we we, we produced in 1990 was equal to every drop of oil that we had we had um, extracted before ni- 1990, and then in the in the in the noughties, uh, 2000 to 2010, we extracted again the same amount of all of the oil that we'd extracted before the year 2000, and then in the ne- you know every decade we're taking more the same amount that we've taken in the entirety of human history, yeah, and so and and this just keeps going up and up, and it's so insane. we need and and we need to. Uh, uh, talk about Elon Musk uh, talking about Elon Musk again he he says that even if you ignore the environmental uh, factors even if you ignore um, the atmosphere the the carbon rising carbon levels in the atmosphere and the rising temperature levels even if you ignore all of that this is utterly stupid because we're going to run out these are non-renewable sources of energy not sustainable mm-hmm. even if it weren't even if it was good for the atmosphere to pump to pump uh, carbon into it yeah. we can't keep it up at this rate because there's only a limited supply mm-hmm. and yeah we can keep finding more but eventually we won't find any more mm-hmm. and we're in big big trouble when that happens because everything relies on oil and everything will just shut down and so we need to start to um to um transition as quickly as we can and the the longer we leave it the faster we have to transition if we'd started transitioning 20 or 30 years ago we might now be in a situation where it's sort of kind of easy again Mm. but but because we just leave we just keep leaving it it's getting harder and harder to imagine doing it um and and so you what my point is with this you don't have to be an environmentalist to 
to to see the problem that we have to we have to um, transition to sustainable forms of energy production such as solar and wind yeah. Yeah, and, and bring up Denmark again uh, Denmark's energy production is, is something like 50% uh, renewable mostly wind um, and and improve and improving all the time um, and, and and 50% is not good enough no. I'm not saying that Denmark has it sussed we, we have to keep improving but I think in in the UK it's about 12% and just to um play devil's advocate a little bit here coming back to your idea of one vote doesn't matter mm. does the actions of one country or even 10 countries matter when we have you know two massive polluters with many more on the way um willing to to take up the mantle in, in terms of biggest polluter i think that it does and the reason i say that is because you're one country out of 200 you're not one voter out of you know thirty or forty million proportion, but in terms and, of how much carbon and and if one uh, even even if a small country like Denmark, which is only um, five and a half million people, if they set a good example, it gets reported on in the media and and sort of shames the big countries True. a little yeah. bit and makes them think about you know if this small country can do it, then why can't why can't you do it as well? And and so I think it it does make a difference. Um, yeah, and it's. You know, this this is a bigger issue than than whether or not you voted in the last general election. This is a problem that everyone everyone has, and we all need to we all need to do something about it. Good place to finish. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe, for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking. No problem. I've enjoyed it. Thanks as always for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at dogmaanddivision at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Dogma Podcast. Same. 2012 anti-corruption index right Denmark Finland New Zealand joint first with right. a score of 90 I assume out of 100 uh-huh. um, UK is 17th joint mm-hmm. with Japan Barbados is above and do you think that is that's heavily linked to the political system and yeah I'm not sure exactly how they do it mm. corruption perceptions index right ranks Oh, it's it's Just how people how perceive it. ah, but it's perception, and mm. that makes a big difference because De- Danish people are the most trusting in the world. Right. Okay. And so that might be why. Okay. The, but but it shows that Danish people are 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 confident in their political system that True. they that they yeah. like it that they are um, yeah trusting. And would you agree, as an Englishman in Denmark, would you agree it is a non-corrupt system? Or do you think, with with your experience, that actually there is an element of mild corruption there? I don't know that. I don't know if it, it, I wouldn't say it's corrupt, but I would say that that there are times when when politicians are just very out of touch. Um, that there's um, uh, an example recently where the the prime minister said something like, uh, I don't remember what the lead up was. But someone made a comment on his shoe to his about his shoes, and the punchline was he said, "Can you get shoes for less than three thousand kroner, which are three hundred? It's like three hundred pounds." Yeah. And I, and I don't know if he's joking, right? But even if he is, that shows a lack of uh, awareness of yeah. of the struggles of some people. Yeah. And I mean that's not corruption, but it it, it shows that how much money he earns. Yeah. 
and and if you have incredibly highly paid politicians, in a way, that's a form of corruption because they should be public servants, um, and they should be doing it because they want to change the world for the better, and not because they lines their back pockets. Absolutely. I mean, one's just legal corruption, and the other one is is illegal corruption. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I do. I do. 